Welcome to the Orange Church Podcast. We are so happy you're joining us today, and wherever you are, we hope you leave feeling encouraged and confident that God is moving. There is a phrase that we use to, um, well, I'll, I'll just say the phrase. I'm not going to say like what it is um, as far as the reasonings behind it. Just, I, I'm just human. I'm only human. How much can I do, right? We've all probably said that in one way or another in some way, shape, or form, in some situation, whatever it is, I'm just human. I'm only human. What can I do? And that, and that, that statement kind of is our last-ditch effort to kind of get across to someone like, I can't do any more. Stop asking. Leave me alone. I can't do it. I've tried. Whatever it is. It, it gives us the reason for maybe even failures or laziness or mistakes or not meeting the standard. There's a number of different reasons why we say it. But when we say, I'm only human, what can I do? I want us to maybe shift our focus into the understanding of hospitality. So last week, we jumped into the story of Thomas, and, and I gave the question, of was Thomas really doubting Jesus in the sense, or what was his doubt, what was the whole thing of doubt really about? Um, because the character of Thomas, what we learned last week, was in, in John chapter 11, he says, well, if Christ dies, we should die that he's doubting something that we typically might be thinking that he's doubting after the resurrection of Jesus. So if you're, any, if you're kind of wanting to jump back into that, go back on YouTube and find that, and you can get back into that story. Um, so last week was about walking in confidence, walking in the confidence of who we believe in, who we follow, and who gives us power and strength. So last week, confidence. This week, hospitality. And we're going through these little things because we are now post-Easter going into the time of Pentecost, which is just in a few weeks, according to like the church calendar and everything else. So, what we're walking through is like different ways of life that we can be adjusting, adding, whatever you want to call it, um, of how to live a life led by the Spirit into this world. So, hospitality. Hospitality leads us to think of a number of different things. Um, one is the business sense, hospitality of hotels and Airbnbs and travel agencies and everything else that they're going to take care of us when we go to a hotel and we're going to have a really great stay or hope, hope to have a really great stay. Melissa and I always seem to find the room that has a bunch of partiers around it so that no matter where we go, we always find like the loud corner of the hotel. It's kind of awkward and strange. It's frustrating. Especially last year, like when we're traveling during COVID stuff, we know like people weren't going anywhere. Like how do we end up near all the people... <laughs> You have a whole hotel wide open. Why are we all in this corner? Never made sense. Um, hospitality is also something we think of when we have family and friends over for holidays, where we force our kids to either share a room with their siblings or force them to share a room with grandparents or, or cousins, and things get really awkward and tense and fun um, after a few days, and everyone's ready to go home. Hospitality is a number of different things, right? But hospitality today, we're going to look at, in a, maybe in a bit of a deeper sense, and I hopefully, I, I'm hoping that it makes some sense. If you want to open up to Luke chapter 24, we're going to read verses 36 through 48. This is after the road to Emmaus story, which we read at Easter. And we're going to see the first appearance of Jesus just kind of showing up in a room. 
So now just wrapping our heads around what that might have been like. We're in this room right now. Had some laughs. We're, we're not really worried about much um, as far as like people coming after us. We might be worried about a number of different things in our own personal lives. But in this moment, like as say like I'm talking and we're all kind of hanging around, say like right there, Jesus is there and he says, peace be with you. Like that, that's cause for like a lot of questions, a lot of like what in the world just happened. Um, actually, interesting enough this morning, where did Peter go? He's off somewhere. Um, we were getting ready to pray over in the room and I saw Peter standing right there and then I turned away and I was like, I need to go get Peter. And I turned back and Peter was gone. I'm like, what just happened to Peter? Um, this doesn't make any sense. And I was like, where could Peter have gone? I actually walked around over here and he wasn't there. And I was like, Peter didn't disappear. And then he came out of the room and I was like, oh, we just don't ever use that room. So <laughs> it's like, oh, that's where Peter went. That's great. He didn't disappear. It was really good. But Jesus is going to appear. I know it's a, it's a weird morning for me. It really has been. <laughs> so <laughs> I have no idea how this morning is going to go. <laughs> it's all sorts of awkward. But Jesus is going to appear. And here's what it says. While they were saying these things, and these things that they were saying is that because Cleopas and the other disciple came back to Jerusalem and told the disciples that they just saw Jesus, they had an encounter with him, and now they're all kind of talking about the buzzet because the disciples have been hearing about Jesus is back and Jesus has been dead, now he's risen and what's going on. So they're all kind of trying to figure it out. So while they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's, that's a good Jesus thing to say because like, what else do you say? Like... Yeah, boo, like, that's not going to, like, it's just, that's just weird, like, it's, sorry, I kind of point out, like, some things that might seem a little weird and a little strange, but it's just, like, I don't think, like, maybe, like, the disciples did, so I'm, like, well, okay, how, okay, there we go, peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid, which I think is a great natural reaction. They thought they were seeing a ghost, and he said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see that I have. As he, said, as he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, and said to them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he ate it in front of them. Jesus says, says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you that everything was written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, they all must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, I'm actually going to stop there. I'm not going to read through the rest of that because it's good stuff, but we might get into that later. We'll see. The reality of what's happening and the reality of seeing Jesus, right? In verse 39, he tells these guys, these disciples in the room, after they're kind of freaking out, like, I'm not a ghost. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Now, again, we talked about it last week a little bit, but I want to reiterate it again. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. Hard to wrap our heads around that. And he is resurrected, not resuscitated, but resurrected from the dead, and he's now appeared, which according to scripture appears to be appeared out of nowhere. Like he didn't just walk through the door, it's now he's there. So you can understand where like the idea of seeing him as a ghost could have come about. Um, the, also, the other part of that is that he's still 
fully alive, flesh and bone, ready and willing, he's there, but he still has his wounds. Now, you can argue with me all day long if, if the nails were right there or right there. To, to be honest, I don't care. Like, they're, they were, the, the wounds were there. And they were in his feet, and, and he was stabbed in the side. So those wounds are still there. And you don't read Jesus going, they're there, but I'm in pain. Leave me alone. No, he invites them just like, see, look at what's going on. And we don't get any indication that Jesus is like hurt, frustrated. He's just like, hey, I'm here. Which is an incredible thing to kind of like just wrap our heads around. But he tells them like, I'm not a ghost. And he uses, and Luke actually uses the word pneuma, which means spirit. Other accounts uh, use more of a, of a different word, meaning more directly related, toward, related towards a ghost. Uh, but he uses the word pneuma, which is just really great because wind, spirit, breath is what pneuma means. And he says, I'm not pneuma. I'm flesh and blood. And then Jesus being Jesus, he does things on purpose. And he, and he asks him, do you have anything to eat? Which is really kind of fun. When you think about the buzz in the room, and now they're starting to ask questions. They're starting to figure things out. As they're questioning and they're excited, they're, they're, they're wondering. He goes, hey, by the way, as you guys are talking, can I get something to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish. And he eats it. And he says he eats it in front of them. Why? Why is that little detail in there? Well, again, just trying to emphasize and show that Jesus isn't a ghost in this moment. Because maybe their thought kind of meets up with our rudimentary understanding of like what a ghost is. Because we probably think of like Casper, right? Where like they can't grab at things. If they eat something, it's going to fall through because, you know, what, what body is there? And he eats this fish. And it's there. And it's done. It solidifies. Now again, you guys know me and I, I take weird little sidebars because I let you guys know my thought process I've seen a lot of ugly situations, bloody messes um, through different areas of life. And I don't get very queasy at things. In fact, I can pretty much handle most anything that you throw at me. Um, in fact, when Abram was born, the nursing staff said I should probably be a doula because I was right in the thick of things going, let's get in there, let's get this going, come on. Um, and then when Nakoto was being born, the nurses were all freaking out because Nakoto was on his way to enter the world and the doctor wasn't there. Like, well, what do you do? I'm like, I was ready to like, get out of my way. Like, I can take care of this. Let's go. Like, I'm not afraid of, right? But I started thinking about this. And, you know, when you get a lot of fish cooking in a room, I'm not sure if I could handle seeing someone eat fish and looking through their hands at the same time. That just doesn't sit well with me because that's not natural. Someone who's going, this is really great, and he's got a cut over here and holes in his ankles. And the $10,000 question that Emily asked this week in the office was, like, if Jesus has these wounds, does he still have the wounds of the beating? And maybe does that even go into the, does he have the wounds of the crown of thorns? And, and so someone popping up going, hey, can I have something to eat? And, like, they're just holed up. I don't know if I can handle that one, right? Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. I'm not trying to say I want to try to find it out either. But what does all this have to do with hospitality? The simple answer is this. 
the disciples, even in the midst of their wonder and their care, they took care of Jesus. They didn't question it. Hey, I'm hungry. Do you have something to eat? Great. Here's some fish. Like, there didn't seem to be any hesitation in the story. There doesn't seem to be like, we don't have any. There, there was just like, yes, we're going to take care of you. And that's great. So we might ask, why is that even a big deal? We'll look back at the road to Emmaus story right ahead. We read about Cleopas and the other, and the other uh, disciple meeting the stranger. And when we read the story, we know that the stranger is actually Jesus, and they didn't recognize him until he broke bread and had communion with them. But the stranger walking with Cleopas and the other disciple through a couple of hours, uh, they were invite, this, the stranger was invited into the conversation. So like Cleopas and this other disciple, like they were excited about what's going on. They're talking about it. They're on the road to Emmaus. And this stranger walks up and says, basically, they, they, he just interjects. And not only interjects, but basically reteaches them for two hours plus on all the things that had to be fulfilled through Scripture. So, like, this stranger interjects, reteaches them, and then at the end of the road, when they get to where they're going, Cleopas and the other disciple invite this stranger to stay with them because it's late. Like, they are showing hospitality after hospitality after hospitality moments. And it's because that's how Jesus lived before the, res- before the crucifixion. Jesus was well known for having meals with strangers and sinners. So the two on the road to Emmaus, like, they were doing what was modeled to them. They were living out what they saw to be true, what they saw to be real, and they made it part of their life. So in one instance, I want to throw this out there, that hospitality, while it might be great to, like, do things for others, like make meals, um, it might also be inviting the stranger into conversation now, that sounds strange because the question is like, am I telling you to go outside and start grabbing random strangers and having conversations with them? Not necessarily, um, because our culture doesn't really kind of work in that fashion. I think it might be good to maybe identify like our strangers, and our strangers might not be as strange as we think. Our strangers are the people that might be like more acquaintances to us. Our strangers are the ones that we know about, but we disagree with. The coworker who rubs us the wrong way, um, the the aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever, family members who have a different political ideology, the you name it, someone who is on the opposite end of what you think, that's more along the lines of like the stranger, more along the lines of the stranger. Someone that doesn't meet up to the level of whatever we want to call it, that's who we're kind of talking about. And Jesus was constantly showing to be the friend of the people that society didn't want to care about. One of his disciples, Judas, who later betrayed him, was a tax collector. He brought a tax collector on, on the three-year journey of learning everything about him, brought him really close in, brought this stranger, this outcast in, really close into the circle when everyone else would have thrown them off. Because tax collectors then are just like tax collectors now, like they're not the most popular people in the world. If you were to think about the IRS, most people don't think 
it's a wonderful thing. Like, we, we love having the IRS. Like, most people are like, why do they have to take my money? This doesn't make any sense. Like, we don't like that. So he, Jesus constantly has met with people of the outcast. Even the woman at the well, that's a very common story. And in that moment, we see this willingness to be, to be open, not only on Jesus' side, but also the woman's side, where Jesus is talking to a woman in the middle of the day, and the, and the significance of that is that the women who went out in the middle of the day were the outcasts of, of the society, and they were not highly looked upon because you know, they might have done something that wasn't culturally appropriate. So you didn't talk to those women, and yet Jesus is sitting there with her and treating her like a human. that behavior has been modeled. And the disciples in this room are remodeling that behavior. Don't understand it. We don't get how you're here, but you're hungry. Here's some food. So let's take a little, another, uh, a little bit, let's get a little deeper here. John chapter 10, if you want to get over there, uh, we're going to read verses 11 through 18. I know I've preached about this one before, or preached on this passage before, but we're going to jump back into it because it's good. Jesus is talking to some Jewish individuals at the time, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays, lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock, the flock and it scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. But I must, or I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father... My father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from the father. And then it says, the Jews who heard these words were again divided and many of them said he is demon possessed and, and raving mad. Why listen to him? Okay. Hospitality might be a little bit vague at this point as we're talking about maybe a deeper understanding of it. But this passage that we just read, Jesus trying to help the Jewish people understand that the, the family of God is bigger than what they realize. It's not just the Jewish people now. It's the Jewish people and Gentiles. So you might be asked, well, who are the Gentiles? The simple answer is this. Everyone else. <laughs> so if you're like, I'm not Jewish, well, then you're a Gentile. There you go. That's probably the easiest way to put it out there. And that made them really uncomfortable to the point of like looking at Jesus and saying, this guy is raving mad. The family. No, no, no. This is my family. Outsiders, we don't let them in. Hospitality means diversity. And here's the fun part. I'm going to pick on our denomination here for a moment. Uh, the Nazarene Church, we, we, uh, 
we love diversity to the point where we, it's almost a point of pride for us. And I say that on the pastoral side because every year we have to fill out an annual report of who's in our congregation, right? And I'm not a formal guy. And so if, if our DS starts listening to this, this, you know, this could bite me in the butt, but here it is. Uh, there's actually a question of there, like, what's the makeup of your congregation? And there's an actual percentage of what makes up a multicultural congregation. And if you're curious, we eked by just barely last, last year. Woohoo, right? Like, <laughs> we know we are. We're good with that. I'm not sure why we are hung up on that kind of stuff, but we are. But, you know, there it is. I, I don't like filling it out, but we have to, and it's there. But it's almost like a point of pride for us as a Nazarene church where we say, look at us, we're a multicultural. Like, now we're just, just kind of want to knock it off. That's what I want to do. I don't like paperwork. I don't like paperwork. <laughs> I love our denomination, but I don't like the paperwork of it. And I say all that because as Orangewood Church, we've, we've put it out there, and I hope you guys are taking heart to this, that we want to be a church that really sees people in the eyes of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where we see people, regardless of where they came from, regardless of what we know about them, regardless of anything out there, we see them first as image bearers of God. that our conversational pieces start with that understanding first. How God has seen them and created them. So we love the diversity of ethnicity. But I think our harder aspect of life is that acceptance of different ideas. That gets a little more harder to kind of breach. Because in the past year, even in the church, not necessarily Orangewood, but the church overall, we, we hear reports, and I, I talk to other pastors, and we, I hear these same stories that there are things that we are taking stands on that make it really hard for other people to feel as if they are part of the family of God. Vaccinated or not vaccinated. Those that want it, great. Those that don't want it, okay, whatever, right? Like, that should be okay one way or the other, but we have let talking points have us take shots across the bow at one another. Mask or no mask. I, I know stories of pastors that, who lost family members because of COVID, and they, now they've made the, come out and said, like, if you don't wear a mask, you don't care about people. And it's like, whoa, hold on now. You've just created the new legalism in the church. And I'm not a fan of going back to the new legalism or going towards anywhere legalistic. I'm not saying one way or the other is right or wrong. But we very quickly put walls up when we hear different ideas that don't go with us, that they don't sit well with us. And when we start doing that with each other, then all of a sudden the rest of the world goes, that's why I don't go with you guys. You guys can't agree. Why would I be with you? Jim Reed gave me this baseball a few minutes before service because he was walking behind the, uh, the, the Dodgers um, spring training field and picked up some baseballs. And I love baseball, so this is really cool. So I have to come to the conclusion and know that there will be Dodger fans in heaven. I have to be okay with that. 
Yeah, it's, it's good, right? <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a Dodger fan. If anything, I was at the field when the Diamondbacks beat the Rockies in 2017, walking out, chanting, beat L.A. Like, but just because Jim loves the Dodgers doesn't mean that I need to hate Jim. I love Jim. Jim's pretty awesome. I can accept Jim, even though we don't see eye to eye when it comes to baseball. I can accept you because we don't see eye to eye maybe on a political realm. I can accept you because we don't see eye to eye on something else. Because in the family, there's an incredible amount of acceptance because we go, they're family. As crazy as some of our family members can be, we still go, they're family. So when it comes to the family of God, there's a way for salvation, but there are plenty of other ways of experiencing that love and that grace. And there's many different ways of understanding people and just realizing that the hospitality is going to mean a lot of discomfort. Going back to the room, the disciples, in their questioning and in their joy and in their, their moments of frightfulness, things were still good. No one had an answer. No one understood how Jesus was there. But they were there. And it was good. And they took care of Jesus. I don't know. I just kind of wonder like, if hospitality might be a little bit deeper than what we, what we make it out to be. So it's my hope in the next few weeks that we take these little bits and we maybe start adding them in a little bit, like walking more in confidence, right? Being a little more hospitable in our conversations and who we walk in, walk in front of and who we walk around. And, and next week, it's going to be all sorts of fun. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but Emily's going to be preaching. And uh, I, I kind of set her up and uh, she's shaking her head going, it's too big. No, it's not. It's going to be great. As we walk towards Pentecost, in that moment of Acts chapter 2, remember that didn't just happen in the vacuum of Acts chapter 2. Moments like the road to Emmaus, the appearing of Jesus, the, the three years of walking with Jesus, all that stuff led to the moment of Acts, which means if we're going to experience Acts-type moments, we need to be walking in these areas now to experience those things later. I want to pray for us. We'll head on home. We'll do our church elections. We'll give our offerings. All that stuff will be there. Uh, but, but walk in a little bit more hospitality this week and see if you notice anything different about how conversations go or experiences go, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning that we can be together. We can learn a little bit more. We can, we can be with one another. Um, help us in our conversations. Help us in our, in our ability to maybe not talk so much, but to listen more. Much like Cleopas and, and his friend, as they walked with the stranger who was Jesus, they, they invited that individual into the conversation and they let the stranger teach them 
May we be open to be taught by people who we don't, weren't expecting to be taught by. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Once again, thanks for joining us at Orange Ridge Church. If you'd like more information or to contact us, head over to orangewoodchurch.org.